Thank you, Chad. I don't know if you noticed, but Chad, Clarence, and I are matching today. So if not, you were not paying attention. All right. So today we're continuing our series on prayer. Our Father, let's pray. And today we're going to be sitting on for most of the sermon on Matthew 9, 36 through 38, what we just read. And one of the things that when you're thinking about missions and you do missions, this is a verse that is very familiar to you or to us, particularly those that are working in missions and working with individuals. Now, when we read this verse, there's a couple of warnings that I want to just uh, highlight as we read. So open the Bible and we will sit on these verses. So Matthew 9, 35 says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching them in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. This particular verse is a summary of chapter 8 and chapter 9, what Jesus was doing throughout Jerusalem and Samaria and Israel. So he's going in, village after village, proclaiming his kingdom, healing individuals, casting demons, interacting with individuals. And then all of a sudden we get to this Bible verse, which is once again a summary of what he just done in Matthew 8 and 9. When we read verse 36, and this is where we're going to be for a while, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Now it's very interesting that when you are working with individuals, when you are traveling and visiting, whether it's a persecuted church or ministries on the ground or creating relationships or you're going through our various cultures, whether for work or whatever the case might be, many cases we don't see the individual. We don't deep, dig a little deeper about who is that we're talking to. All the names look familiar, all the individuals look familiar. It's just numbers on a sheet of paper or names on a sheet of paper. You're just accumulating information. 20,000 people got baptized or 10 people got came to Christ. But what in essence what God is doing is he's pausing. He's stopping. He's seeing the individuals and he's seeking a relationship with them. Matthew 9.36, he saw the crowds. Now the question is, can we see individuals in our neighborhoods? Can we see the lady that is struggling with three kids at the grocery store? Can we see the homeless person that we pass through every single day? Do we see the friends, the friends of our uh, children? Do we know the interworkings, relationships of those parents? Where some of the kids are dealing with depression, self-esteem issues, can we see them? Now, the other aspect here is that he was moved to compassion. Now, we can see, but we're not necessarily feel. And today, I want you to think about and pray about, Jesus, give me your eyes and give me your heart. To see individuals, but also to feel what they feel. 2017, uh, my wife and I traveled to Brazil. Uh, like always we do, we're always like six months in a hand. Where are we going to go now? Where are we going to go out? 
Now, for this particular trip, it was a very important trip because it was a 10-year anniversary. So we're like, got to do something great. So we planned this trip. We began to figure out costs and what we can do with the kids because obviously it's our anniversary. We're trying to outsource our children to someone, right? And my parents are the ones that are going to be outsourcing our kids or taking our kids. So we drop off in Costa Rica, drop off the kids there. Then we go to Bogota for two days, and then we fly to Rio. And as always, I usually pick the destination based upon various variables. And then my wife does the itinerary. So she has a long list of things she wants to see, like every trip. She wants to go to Ipaniva Beach. She wants to go to Copacabana. She wants to go Redeemer, uh, Christ Redeemer. She wants to go Sugarloaf. She wants to go Iwasu Falls. And I'm like, yes, babe, we can do whatever you want, being a submissive husband, right? But I said, the only thing I ask is that we go to the favelas. Favelas are shanty towns, quarter settlements, the worst of the worst. That is what I want to do for my 10-year anniversary, and I want to take my wife with me. What a gift, right? So we go in, we pay someone to take us up to Santa Maria, we go up there. I wanted to go to Regina, which is the largest favela in Rio. 100,000 people was not able to make a contact, was not able to go in. So I shifted my destination to this smaller village. Now we go in there, take amazing pictures, begin to see the, the, the dynamics in terms of how people live, the dangerous aspects of it, and so on. But the next day, we go to this particular town. It's called Santa Teresa. Very picturesque. Lots of street murals, and I love street murals. So I'm walking in, I'm taking pictures, and then all of a sudden we come to this particular mural. Now, you might not see the details, but when you zoom in, the entire mural is made of names. And this is what Jesus is doing in Matthew 9.36. He's going village through village, seeing individuals, but then he stops, he sees, and seeks a relationship with each individual. Jesus called you by name. But when we are so busy doing things, we might not see individuals. So this mural I call John 3.16. The mural is composed of names, and those names create a puzzle piece for the entire world. So what God is doing is connecting us through his Holy Spirit, with individuals around the world that might not know his name. But we might be overwhelmed. The task is too great. We don't know every single individual, and it's okay. Because what God is asking you to do is worry about a couple of names on that map. And he will work and put things together for the entire kingdom. So today, what we're going to be doing is we're going to do a series of prayers, specific prayers. And the prayer that we're going to do today is, God, give me your eyes to see individuals. God, give me your heart so I can feel what they feel. When you walk through the door today, you got a sheet of paper that says to whom and how. So we're going to do a little homework assignment right now. There's pens, should be around where in the pew, or you can borrow a pen. But I want you to write down three names. Three names of individuals that don't know Jesus. Or maybe they do know Jesus, but along the way they have been scattered, lost, or someone that is suffering. What I want you to do is write down those names today, and for maybe for the next 30 days, 
Pray regularly for those names. Pray repetitiously for those names. Pray intentionally for those names. And I'm usually outside sometimes, most times welcoming individuals. And between now and those 30 days, one of those names on your list, God does something amazing. Please share it with me. Tell me, right? On February, whatever is today, the 12th or whatever it is, right? I wrote down a name. A week later, two weeks later, a month later, three months later, God did this in their lives. Now, what I want you to do, once again, is pray for those names. I want you to write them down today or think about it. But more importantly, we're going to spend some time right now praying for those names. And what we want to do is we want to see them how Jesus sees them. We want to feel what Jesus feels for them, for the lost. So let's bow our heads. Pray for those names. Do that regularly for the next 30 days. And let God do his thing. Father, this morning we come to you. Praying to you. We want to have your eyes. We want to see what you see among those multitude of names in the world. We want to pray, Father, for our city, those individuals that belong in our cities, but also, Father, those that we might not necessarily know. But more importantly, this morning, we want to pray for those three names. We want to be intentional, repetitious, regularly, Father. We want to pray for those names that they know you personally. But also, Father, allows us to feel an established relationship with these individuals. We just don't want to know their names. We just don't want to pray for the names. We want to be in their lives and want to walk with them to guide them to you, Father. I pray, Father, that you do something miraculously in the next 30 days. And then in the next 30 days, we begin to see these individuals coming to Christ, coming through these doors, having a relationship with you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, something interesting is going to happen. When you pray to see and you pray to feel what God sees, certain things are going to happen. So here's the warning. When you begin to experience and you begin to see and feel what God feels and sees, you're going to become overwhelmed. You're going to become bombarded and flooded with emotions to the point that you're going to be paralyzed. Because the task is so great. You're going to feel that the task is so humongous that you're not able to do anything about it. Think about right now the situation in Turkey and in Syria with 25,000 people die almost instantaneously due to an earthquake. Or think about when you read the news about Ukraine and the war there. Or when you hear about Somalia and the famine. And when you hear about this war, and you hear about this situation, the task becomes so great that you feel paralyzed, overwhelmed, that you can't do anything about it. But let me give you the secret. Turn to his word, turn to his Bible, and we're going to read Matthew 9, 37, 38. So when you begin to pray, and you begin to see, and you begin to feel, most likely you're going to become so overwhelmed, and paralyzed that you don't want to take over the task that God is calling you. 
But look what verse 37 and 38 says. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. The names are there to be picked, but we don't have the laborers to go and pick the harvest. But look at 38. Therefore, read it with me, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to do what? To send out laborers into his harvest. Let's read it together, right? Because once you feel overwhelmed, you got to go back to the scriptures. When you feel that you can't do the task, look what he says. Therefore, read it with me, pray earnestly to whom? To the Lord of the what? Of the harvest. To send out laborers into his harvest. So here's a thing. It's not our harvest. It is not our problem. It is not us to solve it. It is not us to recruit. I want you to begin to understand this relationship here. God is asking, pray to me. Pray to me. I will equip. I will call. I will choose. I will send out. Now, over the last two weeks, I've been like, I don't experience either anxiety that much, but lately I've been anxious a lot. Okay? So on Monday, actually Sunday going on to Monday, I've been waking up at 3.30 like clockwork. It doesn't matter what time I go to sleep, I wake up at 3.30. So I made the mistake last Monday to open up my phone just to read that 16 individuals are going with us to Kenya, their entire flights got canceled. Okay? So you know what I did? I was like, God, this is not my problem. At 3.40 in the morning, I need to sleep. So I went back to sleep. Woke up at 6.30 with a problem. But I said, Lord, this is your problem. At 7.30, I started getting all the texts and emails from individuals. What do we do? What do we do? I'm like, just wait. Just wait. It's not our problem. God is calling us to go to Kenya. God is going to fix that problem. But when we feel that we have to solve everything and we have to fix it, we become overwhelmed. Now, one of the things that we have to begin to think about is, what can we do? So we have to pray. When it says earnestness, what it means is deep and sincere feeling. So when I pray to the Lord regularly, repetitious for the laborers and his harvest, what you're doing is saying, Lord, this is yours. This is yours. This is yours. It's not for me to solve. Pray deeply and sincerely to the Lord or the harvest. For his laborers, for his harvest. So many years ago, it's 2015. In one of my trips to Salder, I usually go and work with um, MS-13 or gang-related territories, so I travel regularly when I used to travel to El Salvador a lot. And on this trip, my wife did not come, my children did not come. It was a wedding uh, in December. And then my friend that works with them in this organization, 
We went in there. He says, do you want to come with me for Christmas? To come in and deliver Christmas bags or Christmas baskets to MS-13 members. And I said, sure, let's do it. The catch was, he said, let's do it at night. Now, if you know anything about going into territories that you should not go into, you definitely don't go at night. Now, what struck me was, he says, let me text the individual that we're going to see, which was the leader of the MS-13. He'll be waiting for us outside the neighborhood. That's usually not a good sign. Because in the previous times, we just go in. We just go in and do our things and walk out. But this time is at night, which means they're in higher alert. Anything can happen. Opposition gang can come in or the military can come in. So they have watchmen outside. But the man is waiting for us outside around 8 o'clock at night. So we go in, park the car. He guides us in. And usually I know the way. We usually go this way, right? Down the middle, down the community. But this time he takes us in alleyways. Dark, narrow alleyways. I'm like, that's weird. So we go into his house and we pray. We pray for him, for his family and everything. And then when we walk out, we make the right and then another right into the heart of the community. And there is the entire gang in all of its splendor with music. They're high. They're, you know, intoxicated. And the member, the leader of the gang sees me and he makes a straight line to me. And I'm like, this is it. I'm never going to see my kids again. I'm not going to see my wife. I'm not going to be able to tell the story to you, right? And then the gentleman comes straight to me. He goes, thank you for giving uh, shoes to my uh, child earlier this morning. And I said, not a problem, right? And then he goes, I like your shirt. I said, you want it? I take it off right now, right? What else do you want? You want my shoes? You want my credit card? What, what is it that you want? But he, all he wanted to say was thank you for seeing him and his daughter earlier that day. Now, behind him, there's about 10 individuals with guns. And I felt compelled at that particular moment to pray for him. I felt this desire, this need to pray. And guess what I did? I did not pray. I said, thank you very much. I was like, let's get out of here, all right? For the next couple of months, I get this sense that I failed. But I promised myself, if I ever had a chance to do it all over again, I will be bold enough to pray for him. So that's December. In March of that year, I take my wife this time and my kids this time into that territory. Okay? So we're in a room really small with everyone. The entire gang is there. We're praying for them. We're doing, a, we're, we're doing an anniversary because we had a partnership with them with our, our carpentry workshop. And there's this gentleman right there with an MS on his hand. And I said, can I take a picture of your tattoo? Thinking for my classes. And he goes, sure. When I go and grab the camera and turn around, this is what I see. Now, if you know anything about gangs, this is a level of commitment. He's about 24 years old. He got initiated into the gang at the age of 16. And there's a way that you tattoo your body in order to respect the gang. You start with your torso, and then you work your way out. Okay? Now, this individual spent time in prison where you get the best tattoos. Shows a sense of legitimacy and toughness. 
Now, I'm sitting with these individuals. The guy takes his shirt off. I'm taking pictures. So you don't mind, right? He goes, no, not a problem. Go ahead, take your pictures off. But then the, the gang member is there, which I saw in December. And once again, I remember to be compelled to pray for him. And this time, not only did I pray for him, but I prayed for the entire gang. Now, what's interesting is this young man asked me for my Bible. So I signed it, I put a date on it, and I gave it to him. Now, I wish I could tell you the story where he converted to Christ, and, you know, I don't know what happened to him. But what I do know is that God told me to pray for them, and I did not. God gave me another chance, and I did pray for them. And this leads us to Ephesians 6, 16 to 20. When we begin to think about what is God wants us to do, when we begin to think about why God is calling us to do certain things, in Ephesians 6, 18 to 20, we see a script. We begin to understand what is he calling us to do in relationship to prayer. One of the things that he tells us to do is pray at all times. In what? In the Spirit. With all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplications for all the saints and also for me, that words might be given to me in opening my mouth, what? Boldly. To do what? To proclaim the mysteries of the gospel. So here is what I want you to begin to think about. We pray to see and we pray to feel. We're going to become overwhelmed. So we go to the source, and when we go to the source, what we're asking him to do is two things. I want to pray boldly, and when I want to speak boldly when the chance comes. Open my mouth boldly to proclaim the mysteries of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. The second prayer that we're going to do today is begin to ask the Lord of the harvest to give us courage to be bold when we pray and when we speak. Now, the second prayer we're going to do today is to think about an ethnic group, a country somewhere in the world, a group of individuals that is not here in North America or in our backyard or our neighborhoods. We want to think about Somewhere around the world. And what we're praying here is, Lord, either bring the nations to me or take me to the nations. And when that happens, I want to be able to speak boldly in your name. Now, why is this important? Because right now around the world, someone's praying for you. Someone in Kenya, someone in Somalia, someone in Ethiopia, someone in Iraq, someone in Turkey is praying for someone to share the gospel. At this particular moment, for the last 10, 15 years, someone is asking, Lord, send someone. And at this particular moment, you're praying for them. And what happened, Gus, is begins to interconnect and connect the dots. Let me give you another example of how this works. I go to a mission conference, and I've been praying for years about Africa. I'm, Lord, give me Africa. 
Give me an access point into Africa. And for years, God denies that constantly. The elders write a check without a name attached to it. A blank name signed with a number attached to it. I go to a missions conference. And I'm thinking, this is the place, right, where I can give a check because there's a whole bunch of missions individuals there. And I begin to ask my friends, do you have a contact in Africa that I can give this check? All I need is a name. I kept repeatedly getting no's and no's and no's. And I'm like, how does this work? I'm praying to the Lord of the harvest to give me access to Africa. And God gives me no's. So then I sit. And then next to me is one of my best friends in missions. And I say, hey, Julio, do you have anyone in Africa that I can give this check to? Because it's not just a one time. This is repetitious. He goes, I can't think of anyone. But remember the guy I told you in Bangladesh? I was like, yeah. I was like, let's just put the name on it. We'll write the check. Seven years later, rewind the clock or move the clock forward. Guess where I'm going in, May, in March? I'm going to Bangladesh. Because God closed the door to Africa, but he opened the door to Bangladesh. Because someone was praying. Someone was praying, give me either resources or send someone. So in a month, I'm going to visit a friend that I established seven years ago when I was praying for Africa. So today, write down a country. Don't overanalyze it. Don't overthink it. And if you need help, download Operation World and it will help you. There's names there, ethnic groups. And if you can be more specific, write down an ethnic group. It could be the Shuaro, or Shuaro in Ecuador. It could be the Tutsis, the Hutus. It could be the Swahilis, or it could be the Zulus. Just write down an ethnic group and begin to pray regularly for them. How God works is that all of a sudden, that country or that ethnic group that you wrote down, next time you go to the grocery store, you most likely find someone from that particular country or that ethnic group that you just wrote down. Write it down. And then pray over and over that name. So we're going to take some time right now, and we're going to pray for whatever country you wrote down in that ethnic group. So let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, the world needs to hear of you. The world is so vast, so big, with so many ethnic groups in so many countries, so many languages. This morning, all we're doing is praying for one particular ethnic group or one country or one city or one location that is not in North America. Father, either allow us to see individuals in our cities that are from that particular area or take us to that particular part of the world. Father, we want to be compelled we want to be bold. We want to be intentional to take us where the harvest is at. Where is it that you need laborers? Where is it that we can go to be part of your harvest? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. The last part, the last prayer we're going to do today is in Matthew 10.1. Matthew 10, 1 says, And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease 
and every affliction. So when I pray to the Lord of the harvest so I can see and feel, when I pray to be bold when I speak and when I pray, guess how he responds? He says, you're it. You are the answer to your prayer. You are the laborers. You are the individuals that God is calling to go and seek and to pick the harvest. It's no one else. It's you. So if you have said, Jesus, you are my Lord and Savior, if you believe in his name and his promise, then God has called you his and her son, which have made you ambassadors, which have made you his disciples. And this morning, God is saying, you're it. There's no one else. You're it. You are my disciples. So when I pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers, God said, I already answered that prayer. They're sitting right here. When you're praying, Lord, send laborers to the field, there are your children. When you are praying, Lord, help me reach the unreached, God is saying, I already gave you jobs and skill sets. You're it. Now this gets really complicated. Because, and I say this before, the biggest obstacles for our children to go out to the missions fields is not the lack of money, the lack of a calling. You know what the biggest obstacle is? The parents. The parents are the obstacles for the laborers to go. So when I am in his will, when I am in his obedience, when I am under his rule and under his kingdom, what I'm saying, Lord, my life, my possession, and even my children belong to you. You're it. We are the answer to the prayer. Now, what's interesting is when we begin to understand all this connectivity, and we're talking with Chris during the, between first and second service about how our brains operate and how we see the world connecting, what we begin to see is the church is calling us. Last year, we only had seven people go on mission trips. This year, we're going to four different countries, and 36 people are going. Next year, most likely we'll end up going to six places and probably have 58 people going. And if we continue that trend, most likely all of you are going on a mission trip sooner or later. So choose a new church, right? I'm coming after you, right? So afterwards, I'll be like, where are you going next year? Right? But the idea here is that God is equipping us. God is giving us his mandate. And he's saying, you're it. You are the answer to your own prayer. So the last prayer we're going to do today, before we take communion, is the following. You're going to make it personal. You're going to say, I submit to your will. I submit to you. I want to be obedient to your word. I want to hear your calling. Not someone else, but you. And in order to do that, we're going to do the following thing. We're going to get up, we're going to stand up, 
And if you don't know someone next to you, right now you will get to know them. I want you to ask them for their name. And you're going to pray for that individual, for that person to submit to God's will and to be obedient to his word. And that person is going to pray for you. So let's stand up. Okay. And if it's your child, pray for your child by name. And that child will pray for you by name. And the prayer we're going to do is, God, I want to submit to your will. I want to submit to your kingdom. So get together. We have plenty of time. Find someone that you maybe you don't know them. You have a couple minutes to introduce yourself to that person by name. Okay. And then after that, I will pray and we'll enter the time of communion. All right, let's pray. Turn to that person. Pray specifically for them to submit by name to his will and to be obedient to his word. for well community church of silver spring to submit to your will to be obedient to your word father i pray for the well community church to seek and to see the loss here in silver spring but around the world father i pray for every member that belongs to the body of christ here at the well community church as Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Acts 1, 8 commands us to go to the ends of the world and preach your gospel. So the end will come. In this moment, Father, as we take communion, as we go into this special moment, we want to thank you for the sacrifice in the cross. I want to thank you, Father, for the sacrifice of cleansing us of our sins and washing us with your blood so we can have salvation and eternal life in your name. Father, but we want to invite others to come into eternity and be part of that everlasting eternal life that only you can provide. Father, we want to be obedient to you and to your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.